This is In-Ear Insights, the Trust Insights Podcast. Do you want to use AI in your marketing, but you're not sure where to start? Take a class with Trust Insights and the Marketing AI Institute. The AI Academy offers more than 25 classes and certification courses to start you on your AI journey, including our Intelligent Attribution Modeling for Marketer Certification. One membership gets you access to all 25 classes. Visit trustinsights.ai slash AI Academy to learn more and enroll today. That's trustinsights.ai slash AI Academy to enroll today. Are you struggling to reach the right audiences? Trust Insights offers sponsorships in our newsletters, podcasts, and media properties to help your brand be seen and heard by the right people. Our media properties reach almost 100,000 people every week, from the In-Ear Insights podcast to the Almost Timely and In the Headlights newsletters. Reach out to us today at trustinsights.ai slash contact to learn more. Again, that's trustinsights.ai slash contact. In this week's In-Ear Insights, let's talk about data forensics, both from the consumer perspective and from the marketer's perspective. So Katie, you've got a bit of a mystery for us data detectives to solve. I do, and it was one of those things as a consumer that took me aback a little bit. So even though you know we run a data science company, there's still a lot about how data is shared that we don't necessarily have the answer for. So something that we want to start to pick apart is, so over the weekend on Saturday, I went to um, Walgreens, a local pharmacy chain to pick up a hair care product. Not a product I had ever used, not a product that I ever talked about, not a product I had ever even known existed until I got to the store and saw, oh, this looks like the kind of thing I'm looking for but I didn't go into the store thinking, I want this exact product, I've done some research on it. So there's a little bit of that happening. So I bought the product, I came home, and then on Sunday, I start seeing ads for it on Instagram. Now, my first thought is, how the heck does Instagram know that just 24 hours prior, I, for the first time, discovered and purchased this product? Now, I don't have a smart assistant set up on my phone, so I haven't been talking about it, there is a good chance that my phone is still listening regardless. But then I would have had to have named that exact thing in the course of conversation with myself because my husband was working all weekend. So to me, it's just sort of a mystery as to how Instagram within 24 hours knew that I was in possession of this product. So Chris, what are you thinking? Well, let's, let's ask some questions. So the sure. ad on Instagram, was it by Walgreens or was it by the hair company? It was by the hair company. Okay. Um, and when you were at the shelf, did you notice it? Was it a standard Walgreens shelf? Was there a, an electronic display? Was it an end cap? What was it? It was your standard uh, metal cold shelf. There okay. was no so fancy no, display. Like, cool display? Mm-mm. Okay. Um, and... What apps were you running on your phone at the time? You might not know that, but uh, if there are apps in the background that were running. Um, I don't know what was running in the background at the time. I was listening to uh, an audio book. I was listening to Overdrive through my library, um, but I highly doubt that my library is transmitting hair care product data. Um, Most likely things like, you know, GPS and that kind of thing, but otherwise, none that no apps that I'm aware of. And that might okay. be the problem. And did you use your uh, Walgreens customer card? I did. And that was out. my first okay. thought. Yep. 
Okay. So there's three, maybe four different possibilities here. One, um, apps, particularly like Spotify, can transmit location-based data within stores back to merchants and vendors. Um, they're very, very good at that. Their location data um, from a, a, a source that we um, have talked to um, can target you down to the aisle. So it knows it can know what aisle you're in. And obviously, uh, based on that, what kinds of, of stuff is in that aisle. That's one possibility. Um, second possibility would be beacons, which are the NFC uh, devices that a merchant would typically place um, in and around a store that track your movement either throughout the store or very specific aisles. So if there was a special cool display, there's a non-zero chance there's a beacon embedded within that display. You'll see this in um, electronic pricing shelves. Like if you go on to uh, the, like Alibaba, for example, you can actually as a merchant buy shelves, have cameras and displays built right in along with facial recognition. And you can tie that to you know, different merchants. And so the shelf can recognize you and, and change the pricing for you, uh, like give you a discount uh, or mm. a promotion. But based on what you're saying, it sounds like the most logical thing is the Walgreens customer file. Uh, obviously, you know, every merchant with these loyalty cards shares that data, uh, well, sells that data to other, to other brands. Um, and if you're seeing ads for it, what, we're, what I'm wondering is uh, if it's just the, you know, in the file, it's like, hey, you bought this thing or you just bought something from this company. Um, because normally when you get an ad for something you already bought, it's usually because a marketer didn't set up their advertising system correctly and is trying to sell you something you just bought, <laughs> which is yeah, kind of a, a waste of ad dollars. Well, and so that was the other thing I was thinking is I've already purchased the thing. Why am I now seeing ads for it? Um, which, so that's a whole other conversation about how improperly ads can be set up and the wrong messaging, depending on where they are on the customer journey. Um, you know, so to your first point about the location data, uh, through apps like Spotify, you know, that actually makes a lot of sense because I have previously seen ads for things that I was looking at or considering at other kinds of stores, um, well, when I was at Walgreens, I happened to be in the hair care aisle. They had no no like fancy displays and it's actually a much older Walgreens. And so I would have, I would have been less surprised if I had just seen general hair care ads um, because it, it's a rather long aisle and there's hundreds of different kinds of products, but they were able to show me an ad specifically for the product that I purchased, which is what sort of for me raised my hackles of like, okay, someone sold my data and within 24 hours, I started seeing ads for the thing. So I'm guessing, Chris, that your analysis that the Walgreens customer care number is the thing that tied me uh, to this specific ad. What I was even more caught off guard by was the uh, quickness in which it happened. It wasn't a week later, it was literally within 24 hours for this exact product. <clears throat> The thing about the 24-hour delay tells me that it's likely the Walgreens customer number because um, Spotify and, and other GPS-based apps, that data is near real time. Mm -hmm. So you could have been seeing you know, Instagram ads for that as soon as that evening uh, if, if there was, because what they're going to try and do ideally is target you before you leave the store. Like if you're listening to something on, on, the, on the radio, um, you know, hearing that in the, in the non-paid version uh, would be a, a good way to try and, and you know, save that shopping cart uh, if it's a day later that 
suggests batch processing. Like you get a daily file from the vendor and then you know they load that into their ad systems and they spin up, uh, it goes into the next day's batch. And to your point, if it had been a week later, that's something different. That's either the vendor gets uh, much uh, less frequent data files uh, or they are just really bad at running their own MarTech stack. Uh, <laughs> but that 24 hour delay tells me it's probably a, a daily batch process and then that gets loaded and so from a, a forensics perspective, the, the thing that you would do next to, to test it is, you know, uh, I'm not saying go out and buy a whole bunch of stuff at Walgreens, but, <laughs> but go and, you know, browse Walgreens uh, without buying something one visit and see if you see any new ads in your Instagram feed. Mm -hmm. If so, that tells you that it's not the customer data file itself. And then maybe do go buy a sample of uh, some products that you know could likely be running e-commerce ads and see if, again, those start to show up in your Instagram feed as well. And that, that will give you that sort of scientific test. Like, yeah, there's, there's some causality here for this and there's not for these other things. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, if we go back to Spotify for a second, I knew that they had the, you know, you can break it down to very small geographic regions and they know when their customers are either driving or traveling through certain areas. So I've experienced that before and I've actually set up ads to that effect before. And that makes sense because it's using your GPS information to say you are in the town of Framingham, Massachusetts. Therefore the you know vendor who has purchased ad space in the town of Framingham is now going to have you listen to these very specific ads. That to me makes a lot of sense. It was the um, for me, it, a bit of the disconnect between having no awareness of the product and then seeing, starting to see ads on the product. Um, you know, I wonder if this is something that consumers are even aware is being done with their information as they're signing up for these, you know, discount cards. I think that there's this lack of understanding that these discount cards are actually a bigger deal to the companies that are issuing them. So you might get like a $1 off or a $2 off coupon, but the company is getting much, much more in terms of rich customer behavioral data in order to develop new products and show ads and do e-commerce and, you know, basically follow you everywhere. Yep. So one of the other things to think about is, um, who the parent company of the hair care product is, because there's a non-zero chance that, you know, it could be like Unilever, for example, uh, in which case that data file could be, you know, set, sent to the parent company and then it's, it's shared down to, you know, the individual units and things. So there's, there's definitely some more forensics to be done there. But yeah, to your point about what consumers expect the average consumer, I don't think, has the, the slightest understanding of how ad tech works. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and ad tech is, obviously, it's a very lucrative industry. Obviously, it's a very competitive industry. And consumers give an awful lot of permission to things that they don't understand. There, there's you know, the old Latin phrase, uh, nolum gratuitum prandum, right? There's no such thing as a free lunch. So uh, as our friend Tom Webster says, if you're not paying, you are the product that is being resold. And I don't think that's a mindset that consumers understand with their data, which means that for marketers, we have to tread really carefully in how we use consumer data, how we acquire it, how we store it safely, and then how we use it, obviously. There are any number of landmines, you know, going all the way back to the famous Target example of Target sending, you know, maternity ads to a, a teen that, you know, that didn't realize they were, whose father didn't realize they were pregnant, uh, where 
we can cause more harm than good, right? We can we can cause substantial reputational damage. And part of good uh, governance around consumer data is disclosing to consumers in a in an easy way, like, hey, here's what we're doing with your data. If you don't consent, you know, click here. It's like every website you go to saying, hey, we use cookies, you know, click here to accept. And then, you know, there's like a, some tiny little button says you can manage this. And then you open it up. It's like, here's the 44 things we do with your data. You're like, whoa, I only want this one here and these other 43. No. Um, but yeah, most people don't look at that. If you want actually uh, a fun thing to test would be to uh, set up some event tracking on your on your website's pop up, you know, you know that manage cookies button. See how many people actually click on the, you know, manage my data. Like I would bet you, like maybe one percent of the people that go to your website do that. Everyone, the other ninety nine percent just click the OK button to make the thing go away. Even though you could literally have said your firstborn child is now our property in there. <laughs> so let me ask you this question, Chris. So let's say you are like me and. You signed up for, for example, a Walgreens card, maybe, you know, five, six, seven, ten years ago. And let's say you never like, so you just you signed up for the card because you knew you'd get some additional discounts. Great. No big deal. Ten years ago. You've never logged into their website to manage your account. You just on occasion, like maybe once or twice a month when you go to the store, they're like, do you have a Walgreens account? Oh, yeah, I think I do. Let me punch in my phone number. And so you do that. And then you go about your day. And so I've never checked in to see in the 10 years that I've had this account, has the privacy policy changed? Has my end user agreement changed? You know, is there even a way for me to manage this information? So why am I so caught off guard that all of a sudden they're selling my data and I never said it was okay because it's on me. I never checked to see if that was even something I was signing up for or if that has changed in their policy in 10 years. So you're getting at why GDPR and CCPA exist, um, these, these legislative requirements for marketers, because um, in a lot of cases, yeah, people don't know um, they might have given a phone number they they might have given an address and the company has likely done the minimum due diligence required which means that they probably sent a postal notice uh, or an email that ended up in your spam bin uh, saying yeah, here's how our privacy policies have changed you almost certainly got notices about this at the beginning of this year when ccpa took over uh, because every company did the whole you know we, we all got these notices in, in 2018 when gdpr went into effect saying our privacy policy has changed you got 500 of them at all, all at the same time uh for every company you've ever done business with and what did you do you probably put them all in the trash right because that sounds about right read these. <laughs> um, yeah but implicit in that is you were given notice and you didn't read it. Uh, and mm -hmm. so the, the, you're correct. The burden of responsibility for managing your privacy is on you. However, as marketers, we have to be cognizant of the fact that even if we've made it, we've done the regulatorily required things, um, that is different than doing something with a consumer that has active consent. And that's one of the, the topics that keeps coming up in privacy legislation is active consent means, yeah, you actually read the thing. You like you went through the the two minute tutorial or whatever and and you clicked okay knowingly or you took a quiz and it you know it says yes, you actually read the thing. Um, in those cases, companies are a lot safer from reputational damage because they're like, yeah, you watch the YouTube video to the end. We can watch that. Um, and and you you know, you've agreed knowingly what you were getting into. 
Um, and I think from a best practices perspective, we want that. We want active consent for our stuff. We want customers to, to know what they're getting into. And if we're selling their data, we tell them, you know, what's in it for them. Like, hey, I'm going to sell you, I'm going to sell your data to this hair care company in, in exchange. You might get some extra discounts on the hair care thing. Do you agree? Um, and if the customer says, no, I don't want discounts. Cool. If the customer says, sure, I'll take an extra, you know, 20% off, then, mm -hmm. then they get to make the exchange. This was uh, something that one of the presidential candidates, Andrew Yang, was was big on, was saying that customers should have the right to sell their data instead. Um, like the, the company is not permitted to do it. The customer is the one who says, yeah, you pay me you know, 30% off your product and I'll give you my data kind of thing. Uh, or you give me a dollar for every time I, I click OK on the consent button. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting idea because it would shift the economic burden to the, the technology providers, to the marketers. I don't think it will ever happen because companies <laughs> are not going to be willing to pay that. But um, right. certainly with things like GDPR, it's going to make a patchwork quilt of privacy. And so our guidance always to marketers is make sure your privacy policies and things adhere to the strictest standard. And then you never have to worry about whether you're compliant or not. You know, you bring up this notion of the active consent. And I feel like we've talked about this before, probably on a different podcast. Um, you know, but I can absolutely see why companies would want to do the bare minimum and sort of like skirt around this notion of active consent because it's not in their best interest to not have complete access to consumer data. So if they are putting privacy policies and consent forms and tutorials in the face of their consumer, the likelihood of them getting the data starts to go down considerably because a lot of people are saying, well, no, I don't want to share my data with you at all, ever. I want nothing to do with discounts. I want nothing to do with you knowing who I am, my purchasing patterns, my likes, my dislikes. I want nothing to do with that. So you get nothing. And then, then that then puts the companies at a severe handicap. And as I'm saying this, I realized we have had this conversation before uh, on a different podcast. That said, it's still such an important topic that it definitely bears repeating because as it gets increasingly more difficult for companies to get consumer data, they have to then think of other ways to reach their key demographic in their market. And you're gonna start to see the companies that are less creative, less agile, less innovative, just start to fall by the wayside when it comes to digital marketing. Yep. And the other thing is as awareness properly, properly uh, becomes greater about the misuse of data for things like AI and you know creating unintended biases, there's an additional disincentive for you to tell a company who you are, what your preferences are, because you can obviously infer things like race and um, uh, religion from those those data points. So yeah, there's a strong disincentive to want to share that data, which means that as marketers, we have to figure out, okay, what is a strong enough incentive to get somebody to want to share that data? We agree that data is valuable, which I, I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably agree with that. Um, then what are we willing to pay for it? What are we willing to, to give for it? Um, what's in it for the customer and in a lot of cases there's not enough there's not enough in it for the customer to go okay i, I think this is worth forking over my data and potentially even being exposed to a you know a hostile algorithm uh down the road depending on the company so the takeaway here for the marketer is you've got to decide what customer data is worth and then be willing to pay it and uh, be willing to pay a premium for it because 
as legislation continues, as privacy uh, groups get better, um, as consumers get better at understanding how their data is and is not being misused, um, you will be in competition with your competitors, not only for the sale, but also for the right to the data. And you would better be able to outsell your competitors on the value of what you're going to give them in exchange for this data. Because it's, you know, Katie, to your point, it's a sale. It's just mm -hmm. like uh, buying the product itself, that giving that data over is a sale. And we as marketers have to convince people to sell us their data. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, you know, as, you know, being on both sides of it is really interesting as a consumer. In some ways, I almost felt completely violated of how dare you know the thing that I just bought and then show me ads for it. But as the marketer, I'm like, oh, this is great. I have access to consumer data. And so it is definitely that like push pull of I don't know which side is the right side. So there has to be that middle ground of the consumer actively knowing and the marketer actively telling. Yep. Um, as with so many things in life, uh, consent is everything. Get somebody to say yes, and you're all good to go. If you got follow-up questions about this or any other topic, pop on over to our Slack group over at trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers, where you can talk with over 1,300 other marketers uh, about topics like this or anything else under the sun that's related to marketing analytics. And if you haven't already subscribed to this show, please do so. Go to trustinsights.ai slash TI podcast or just subscribe on whatever platform it is that you're listening on. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Want help solving your company's data analytics and digital marketing problems? Visit trustinsights.ai today and let us know how we can help you.